Well, as you can see, we have had quite the week. We have had many, many things that have been thrown our way, and we said, Lord, we want to worship you on Sunday, and we want to see this come to fruition. And so um, it was a little bit of an exploration here to do, uh, have some others lead from uh, past weeks and put a medley together to worship the Lord for Christmas week. Um, and I wanted to start off with a prayer and a thanksgiving to the Lord. Um, as we go into today, uh, there's more curveballs coming. We are excited because we've prepared and put some thoughts into all the things that uh, God has in place for us today as we talk about the Jesus movement and Jesus moving into our neighborhood. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, 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 you are worthy of our praise. And today we've had an opportunity to pause, to sing of the mystery and the wonder of what took place when you came to this world, the world that you created, to live among us, to love us. I pray, Lord, that we are captured in this thought that God became flesh to dwell among us, to live perfectly, to die a sinner's death even though you knew no sin, and to be raised from the dead so that we might have life. That is why you came. And as we remember your birth, May we not forget the cross as well. As we are captured by the mystery of Christmas, help us to be moved to action. You move in every generation, and we ask that we would be sensitive and aware and ready to move alongside you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We talked last week about uh, Eugene Peterson did an interpretation of John chapter 1, verse 14, when it says that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. But I wanted to read uh, a little, in a little bit, I'm going to get to this, but I want us to be caught up in the idea and the thought that Jesus is moving towards us today. And in Christmas season, we recognize this, that Jesus is moving towards us. And that's a beautiful thought. It's an amazing thought. But I don't want us to miss the fact that God has called us to much more than sometimes we even can imagine. And I want us to even imagine that we're not called to a lesser than life. We are, in fact, called to a glorious life that is action-packed, full of adventure, mystery, miraculous events. God is on the move. But I don't want you to settle for any less. And so I want us to watch this goofy little video that reminds us of what settling looks like. Let's watch. Whoa. Father, why can't we have direct TV like the McGregors do? We're settlers, son. 
We settle for things, like having cable instead of direct TV. Hey, Jebediah, how's it going? Working the land, hoping for a fertile spring. All right. So we have to live with lower customer satisfaction? I'm afraid so. Now, go churn us some butter, boy, and then make your own clothes. Yes, sir. Don't be a sucker. Yeah. Get rid of cable and upgrade to direct TV. So isn't it ridiculous that we, uh, we see this and we're like, well, obviously, uh, in the American society, we don't settle for less. No matter what, we always have to have the best, right? I remember when I was a child and we had the old crank TV with the, somebody had to stand on one foot and we had to move the bunny ears to try and get the right channel to work. I remember just having a similar conversation. I don't think I was quite like those uh, people, uh, but I remember asking my parents, can't we just get cable? Can't we get satellite TV, can't we get something? And they'd say, no, son, we don't, we don't, we don't get that. We, you, you can earn it. So I'd, we'd be cranking the antenna and trying to get it to move up on the, the roof, and then we'd be moving the bunny ears. You know how it goes. If you've lived in those days, uh, there was a, a certain art to earning your television for the evening. I, I want us to consider that, as silly as that may be, how often do we compare Christianity to the world and say we are settling in our salvation? We are settling in and of ourselves and saying, I'm just going to be basic. I'm not going to do any of this other stuff. I'm not going to live out in the world. We're going to settle and we're going to just be happy with what the Lord has given us, and, and we're going to stay right there. I want us to consider, have you grown complacent? Have you settled? Or are you still ambitious in your goals for what the kingdom of God can do? Have you settled in thinking that God can't use you anymore, or God won't use you anymore? And I want us to consider, are you okay with the results? When I read in John chapter 1, as Julie shared with us at the beginning, I want us to pause and really reflect in John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. It says, He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Verse 14 is what I referred to, and in the New Living Translation, it says, So the, world, so the word became human, or some say flesh and bones and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I love how Eugene Peterson said he, he came and he moved into the neighborhood. Jesus put on flesh and bones. God himself put on flesh and bones and moved into our neighborhood. He who knew not what it was like to be a human became a baby. 
He who never knew struggle and pain and difficulty and trials willingly came. And perhaps you've read the Christmas story hundreds of times in your life, but I I wonder today if thinking of it from another perspective and thinking of the prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus' coming to the earth, if that would change your mind or at least point you in a different direction. There's from prophecy to lineage, from prophets, priests, and kings, from the sacrifice of a Messiah, all of these things were foretold. It's pretty easy to find 44 different things that the Lord prophesied through prophets in the Old Testament about this coming Messiah. There are so many elements that should capture us, should pause us to realize that it wasn't just one miraculous prophetic word. It was dozens. And if you know, statistically speaking, one of these would be pretty astronomical to have happen. But to have 44 of them align on one individual that was to come, this should cause us to say that is miraculous. That is godly. And I'm only going to mention a few, and I'm I'm really going to throw these these thoughts at you quickly. I don't have a slide. I don't have the verses. Certainly back, I want you to, every, every time I speak, to look into God's word to see that it is clearly there. But as I was listing out these things, it was almost like a praise and prayer journal of these different prophetical words that were spoken about this Messiah to come. You can see in the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, it says that he would be born in Bethlehem. It's fulfilled in Matthew 2.1. It says in Isaiah 7.14 that he would be born of a virgin. And we see this come to fruition in Matthew 1, verse 23. It says that he would be of the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of King David. And you can see of Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3. And it comes to fruition in Matthew 1. Imagine saying that he would be of the lineage of David, King David, the greatest king of old that many spoke of so well. But this Messiah would come through his lineage, and how many thought it would be Solomon, his direct heir. But yet they had to wait hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came. You see that he was the heir to David. You see that in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13. You also see it in Isaiah 9, 7. And it comes to fulfillment in Luke 1, verses 32 and 33. We hear that he would be anointed and eternal. This Messiah would be anointed and eternal. Not two lightly phrased words. Anointed means kingly. Eternal means God. Because only God is eternal, forever past, forever future, no time stoppage. He is anointed and eternal. We see that in Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. We see it in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. We see it fulfilled in Luke chapter 1, verse 33. We hear that this Messiah will be called Emmanuel, which means 
As Julie said, and we've sung many a times, God with us. And we see that in John 1.14 as well, that God moved into the neighborhood. But two passages I selected for God with us are Isaiah 7, verse 14, and then Matthew 1.23, where we see Emmanuel, God with us, born. He would be called the Son of God. That's quite the statement. Do we believe that he was really the Son of God? If he wasn't the Son of God, then it's blasphemous because the Son of God would have God's powers. Not a lesser than, he would be on equal standing. Because since God is eternal past and eternal present, it means that God was there at the beginning of creation and before that. And if he's eternal, it also means that if he is the Son of God, that if he came to this world which he had created then that would mean that he was God in the flesh somehow walking among us. But we see this in fulfillment in Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. We see it come to fruition in Matthew 3, 16 and 17. Now I'm skipping a lot because I want to get to the essential, the, the crux of it all, because it says that this Messiah would be crucified. And if you've ever read Isaiah chapter 53, you see the suffering servant story. There's 12 verses there that really articulate well who this Messiah would be. But in verse 12 of Isaiah 53, it says that he would be crucified for us. Not only dwell with us, but die for us. That's quite the statement. Before he's even born, we already say he's going to die. Before he's come to fulfill Christmas' story, we already know that he's coming to die for us. That can fill you with hope or it can sound pretty sad. I hope it fills you with hope. And it comes to fulfillment in Mark chapter 15 and all, all of the gospels re refer to Jesus dying for us. But Mark chapter 15 verse 27 actually speaks to his crucifixion. Then this one captures my mind because he would resurrect himself. That is quite the statement, quite the miracle that took place. It's one thing for me to pray to God to ask someone to be raised from the dead. When you're dead, you, you aren't praying anymore. But God, in the flesh, became man, crucified for us, died, and resurrected himself after three days. And we see this come to fruition. We see it prophesied in Psalm 16, verse 10, as well as Psalm 49, verse 15. We see it fulfilled in Matthew 28, verses 2 through 7, that he walked again. That people spoke of this Jesus was alive again. He was disappearing and appearing. He was eating. He was walking. He was talking. Somewhere around 500 individuals saw him. This should fascinate us. This should encourage us. And I hope it does today. 
But I also want us, as I've said before, I don't want us to settle for less because if this good news that we've just heard of the Christmas story, of why this Messiah needed to come, these things that had to be fulfilled, they aren't just statements, they aren't just words on pages written a long time ago. They speak of a God who would come to this world to love you so much that he would die for you. He didn't just move into our neighborhood to be a nice neighbor that we like a lot. Kind of like the commercial where that, that guy just says, Hello, Jebediah, how are we doing today? But he basically is like, Oh, just tilling the land and then okay, see you later. I mean, he just moves into his house and moves on. Maybe that's what your neighborhood's like. It's just cordial greetings and then, okay, until next time. Jesus didn't just move into this world for that. He moved into our world so he could get to know you, so he could show his love to you, so he could do miracles for us, He could fulfill prophecy for us and ultimately bring us back into relationship with God, with himself. Before I get to, and Kenny's actually going to be on video here in a little bit, but before we get to that, I wanted to introduce, I wanted to bring up the scandal of Christmas Have you thought of the scandal that took place? Mary and her pregnancy was scandalous. Can you imagine a family rolling into your town, maybe even into your neighborhood? I imagine they were somewhat shy. I don't know, but... We, you hear, oh, Joseph's back in town. Oh, Joseph, we love Joseph. Yeah, we haven't seen Joseph since he was a child. I'm making this up as I go work with me here. Well, we haven't seen Joseph in so long. It's wonderful to have them here. Oh, he must be here for the taxes. Oh, who's that with him? I didn't hear that Joseph got married. Oh, he's not married. Well, she's obviously pregnant. Do you, does anybody else see this? Do you, know what the, do you know what the writings of old tell us we must do to such a situation? They move. There's nowhere for them to stay. It's tax season. Everybody's already upset. Who likes tax season? How many of you would like getting told you have to go back to where you were born and pay taxes? Exciting. That just sounds like a vacation, right? But it's tax season. Everybody's, I'm imagining they're grumpy, and not many people are. Maybe the tax collectors are happy. They see this couple, and they see that she's pregnant, and that they weren't married, and that is a stonable offense. There's nowhere for them to stay, and they move to the closest wherever whether it was a cave, whether it was probably not a barn, but wherever they find shelter for the evening and they have this baby and they lay him in a manger, a cattle feeding trough. 
He was the lowest of low in the most humblest of homes. This illegitimate people that they hadn't seen in so long. Joseph was of lineage to be moving into that town again. But they were basically immigrants who needed assistance. And I imagine if this type of a family moved into our neighborhood, we may not even notice them anymore. In our day and age, if somebody moves in and they're not married and they're having children, we don't even notice. But God notices everyone. Do we notice those that need extra love and care that move into our neighborhood? Does God cause you to pray for the foreigner, the illegitimate, the immigrant, those that need assistance, those who are without housing? Do we care enough to pause and not just say, well, somebody should fix that. Somebody should help them. But you actually say, I will help them. You know, they were expecting in this prophecy, they expected that a military leader would come and rescue the people away from the Roman Empire. They did not expect an illegitimate child born in a stable or in a cave to an illegitimate couple that didn't, weren't married, so they shouldn't have been intimate, so they shouldn't have had a child. This is not how it was thought to be written. They expected a king. The people expected, they had anticipated, but God had other plans. And I want to jump into a more modern day age, and that's what Kenny's going to speak on. And we're going to listen to him illustrate to us this morning what Jesus did through the Jesus movement, which wasn't that long ago. But let's listen to Kenny this morning. Good morning, church. Uh, I come to you remotely today, but from a pretty comfortable setting. Uh, we were talking on the Jesus movement today and also the movement towards Jesus. So I decided to wear my tie-dye from Quinn Rock's Friends Camp and uh, wanted to look a little hippie-ish here. And of course, my puka shells from living in Hawaii. But I just wanted to share a little bit uh, along with Keith. I thank him for allowing me to do this even remotely today. But uh, just a little bit about the Jesus movement and our movement towards Jesus. Uh, there's a quote that says, art should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. And I truly say, see that it's the same for Jesus. Jesus came to disturb the comfortable, the culture, the conformists, and to comfort the disturbed, the disenfranchised, the downtrodden, the disillusioned, and the distraught. And we see that from the very beginning, don't we? We see that in Bethlehem, even before Jesus is born. There's already a lot of uh, scandalous things going on as the young pregnant Mary is on the donkey and they're walking into the village. We would probably write this script a lot differently. We would make it more like work out better, you know, and be like they're married and they go to this nice place and they have the baby. But we see that even from this point, from what was said in Philippians, that he made himself of no reputation and took the form of a servant, even before he was born that was happening. Uh, there's just something about coming into the world as a baby that is, makes you completely helpless. And then God on top of that wrote into this script that he would also be scandalous. And it kind of throws rationale on its side. It's so counterintuitive what we see here. They're poor, they're homeless, they're away from home. 
Keith had told me that there probably was no midwife, which was a big no-no in that culture. Uh, maybe there was a midwife that they found, but usually the man was not involved in the birth. But here they are, and here is Joseph involved in it. It's interesting to me, too, there was no room in Bethlehem at any of the inns. Now, obviously, back then, they couldn't call ahead and make reservations, so they just had to get there. They showed up with a pregnant lady, obviously about to give birth. She was probably already going into labor, and it doesn't seem right in a hospitality culture to have no one bring them in. I mean, if you've ever been in the Middle East, I've been there, and people are very hospital, hospitable, and they're very open. So I guess the only thing we can figure is that there was some kind of stigma attached to this couple that actually made everyone close their doors to them, except this one innkeeper who said, well, I can't fit you in here, but I do have a cave for you. And this whole thing reminds me a lot about the Jesus movement, how there was this movement of all these young hippies in 1968 coming to Christ. And this whole thing took place so quickly and so rapidly, and it really reflects and is paralleled with this Jesus story that we read about Bethlehem in the end. 1968 was a lot like 2020. We've had quite a year this year. In 1968, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, there was widespread riots going on across America. The major cities were aflame, literally and socially, with racial tensions. The political turmoil in the election year uh, epitomized uh, by the violence surrounding the Democratic National Convention. There's all these things going on. There were marches, demonstrations against the war, and there was even, yes, a global pandemic, the Hong Kong flu, that actually killed more than a million people worldwide. Does that sound familiar with us right now? It really is a lot like 2020 and 1968. I told you a while back about the story of this couple. They had just come out of drugs. Their names were Ted and Elizabeth Wise. They'd found the Lord and were wanting to clean up their lives and they went to this little Baptist church. And this man I see as the innkeeper who invited them in. He said yes. He didn't send them out to the cave. He didn't send them elsewhere. He opened his arms and the church opened their arms to this couple. Uh, this was definitely counterculture, I'm sure, for the Baptist church at this, at this time in life, for all churches at this time, to have this couple come in would have been uh, probably a lot of, you know, interesting scenarios that were drawn up about, should we allow them in? Uh, what's gonna happen? But this was the start of the huge Jesus movement because this pastor, we don't even have his name here today, but he invited Ted and Elizabeth Wise into his church, was the flame and the spark that started the great Jesus movement. They say that over 200,000 people were saved during the next time period. It became so popular that even Time Magazine, as you're going to see on the screen, but I have it here as well, Time Magazine, the great Jesus rally in Dallas. This was kind of a climactic event of the Jesus movement was this huge rally in Dallas, Texas, but truly Jesus movement was taking over the nation by storm. Just real quickly in my segment, I just want to talk about a few of the characteristics of the Jesus movement. Number one, they were obsessed with Jesus. Tell me today, is there any way that we can be overly in love with Jesus? I just don't see that there can be. I remember in a story about a young person that uh, had come to Christ and was so enthusiastic and he overheard some people talking about him in the church. And the one man said to another, well, 
you know, he'll calm down soon, which crushes my spirit today. And it makes me sad to think that they realize that there's this status quo that we kind of slip into, we settle into after a while, we'll calm down soon. No, no, we can have this great passion and love for Christ all the time, I believe. That's one of the characteristics. They were obsessed with Jesus. Many passed over the Jesus movement, hippies. A lot of churches didn't have room in the inn. Maybe some created a space in a cave, but most didn't allow them in at all, much like the streets in Bethlehem that night. My dad was pastoring in Seaside, Oregon, and I'm always proud of this story because he saw these hippies starting to come in, and he, and he called a meeting of the church and he said, we have to decide 100%. Are we going to welcome these people in or are we not? We're either going to be all in or all out. And the church voted to let them in, to have them invite them in, to open up the doors of the inn and invite the hippies in. And uh, my mom told me the other day on the phone that it was a wonderful season to have these people come in that didn't know all the church culture. And, and I love when uh, you know young Christians come in or brand new believers or people that aren't even Christ followers yet and they don't know how to act. You know, there's a proverb that says in the Bible, it says that in a clean barn, there's no cows. And basically what that's saying is we can have it all pristine and clean and nice, but if we don't have any people coming and stirring up and shaking things up a little bit, then we probably don't have any fresh new believers coming in. Uh, another thing that the Jesus movement brought is a clear disdain for materialism. You know, Jesus says you can't even be my disciple unless you give up your possessions. And truly, they follow that to the letter. Uh, I ask us today, have we become too comfortable in our materialism? I like what Lisa sent out in the box, the Advent Conspiracy. And one of the things that it says is, is actually take things out of your life and give away at this Christmas season are we adding to, you know, my wife and I were talking about in many third world countries, you never find a storage unit place. You know how we have those going up, they're popping up all over America. Storage units, we got more, we got so much stuff, we gotta rent a space for our stuff and then another space and, you know, and we're guilty of it. I'm guilty of it that we do this, but uh, there's this thing of taking out of our lives and that was clearly part of the hippie movement. They had this Sermon on the Mount opposition to war that really fits into where we want to be you know no one wants war we want peace and we pray for peace and we pray for the prince of peace to come they had a penchant for community communal living everyone living together much like we talked about the jerusalem church they had a deep ambivalence towards political parties and they were living in a counterculture in this culture that venerates materialism and militarism the only way to truly follow Jesus is to go counterculture. Uh, I want to say some observations by Brian Zond. He was actually saved during the middle of the Jesus movement. And he talks about this powerful, Christ-exalting, gospel-centered, Bible-based, world-changing, congregation-revitalizing, church-planting, missionary-sending, pandemic-stopping, injustice-smashing move of the Holy Spirit. They saw it through the Jesus movement, and we ask for that again. So recalling 1968 and the Jesus movement that followed, let us pray in faith, Lord, do it again. Would you do it again? Would you come out of this 2020, this crazy pandemic season, and would you bring 
us a fresh movement of your Holy Spirit across this region and around the world. Uh, it says in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in our church, to him be glory in the church, the ecclesia, the church, the real church, the sons and daughters of the faith, in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We had a bunch of long-haired Jesus freaks who realized the Sermon on the Mount was a thrilling, demanding, and it was dangerous as dynamite. The Jesus movement was about making Jesus revolutionary again. Indeed, a common Jesus movement motif was to represent Jesus as this kind of outlaw. This was actually a popular poster at the time, and you're going to see it there. I, I'm holding it up here. And some of the crazy things on this poster I want to read, as you see it there, it says down on the left side, associated with known criminals, radicals, subversives, prostitutes, and street people. On the right side, it says, here's his appearance, long hair, beard, robe, and sandals. He hangs around the slum areas with a few rich friends, often speaks out in the desert. And one I really like here at the end, particularly dangerous to young people who haven't been taught to ignore him yet. <laughs> that kind of can sting. He changes men and claims to set them free. Warning, he is still at large. The Jesus of the Gospels is scandalous Jesus that chose to write the script, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. However, that was done, that he would come and be this completely vulnerable, dependent little baby, and the whole story of Bethlehem and the innkeeper who made a space outside for him. May we make a space inside for this Jesus of the Gospels. You know how he's far more suited to be on an FBI wanted poster than for being the poster child of our American values. He truly calls us today to a counterculture revolution. Whether you relate more to that tattered and distressed Mary and Joseph today, perhaps scandal has followed you, perhaps you feel like you're lost or without a home, a refugee in a foreign land, all are welcome at the table of the Lord, all are welcomed here. Or maybe you relate more as the keeper of the inn. You've made some room for Jesus that you're comfortable with. You know, we kinda, I heard a girl one time say, I asked Jesus to be part of my life. And it rang not so true to me because we don't compartmentalize and ask Jesus to be part of our life. We ask him to infiltrate our life and take it over. But maybe you're hesitant today to really embrace the Jesus that confronts you, the counterculture Jesus who still bids us come and die. The Jesus who caused the religious leaders starts in fits of rage, but created an atmosphere where the drunkard and the prostitute fell at ease. They felt at ease with him. He doesn't call us, he no longer belongs in a cave, Jesus doesn't, but he invites us to come, let's invite him to come, rather, and transform us radically into his image, uh, inviting him into our lives this Christmas time, inviting him into our homes, our church, our world, to disrupt our sleepy spirituality, to once again invade our comfortable Christianity with this radical call to follow him. He does it again today. God bless you guys. It's good to be with you.
to turn I wanted to turn uh, to Matthew chapter 25 verses 37 through 40 <clears throat> Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. I've been caused to pause quite a bit this uh, week in preparation. Uh, isn't this the season of pivoting? Every time it seems like we make a plan, even in the normal years, it, it's hard to remember the normal years sometimes anymore. But even in the normal years, there was always something that could rattle your plans and change your, your stuff. But this year has been notorious for everything needing to pivot. You make a plan. <laughs> I almost have to laugh whenever I write something down that it's a plan. I think the calendar of 2021 is just going to look like just... A, I don't know, just IDK on everything. <laughs> because we make a plan, but it seems like everything pivots. And I wonder if you've ever thought of yourself, Lord, how do you want me to spiritually pivot this year? How do you want me to spiritually pray and pivot for the coming year? You know, we had something pretty radical happen pretty close to right about here and right about here at the beginning of 2020. Do we remember that? Our roof was about to fall in. And we saw some cracks that were getting a little bit questionable, a lot of bit questionable, enough to where we investigated and our our buildings manager went and, and observed and looked and said, uh, let's ask the trustees. And then a, another meeting took place and more people observed and more measurements were taken and it was determined we have some structural issues that could be cataclysmic to this building. And so we brought in scaffolding and we built this whole place up and we had all kinds of fun bars and things ha hanging out in this building. And... Then we were like, okay, let's go back. 2020, isn't it just an amazing year? We, let's just go back into the sanctuary. So we went back into the sanctuary, and then March 12th happened. Oh, it's just a two-week pause. Just a two-week pause. We'll be right back into normal. There was a season, I think it was like July or August, where I thought to myself, we have been in this sanctuary two times this year. It was crazy. This is a crazy year. And we've had all these physical adjustments. And we can praise God that we have this building and we have this place that we can gather, but it also has helped me recognize that we don't need this place to gather. 
We can do it online. And then we had to pivot to online, which if you would have asked me at the beginning of 2020 if this church would be online and in person, I would have chuckled for a while. Because I would have said, what's the need? There's no way that that will ever happen. So I ask you about this pivot because I wonder if there's a spiritual pivot that needs to take place. Perhaps there are people that you've written off or you, you think, Lord, I don't, I don't know if we can minister to them. What if you started praying for 2021 and said, Lord, would you move us to revival again? We've had these physical building pivots that we've done corporately. Lord, would you move us into a spiritual pivot so that we are responding to what society needs of us? And we don't need a large crowd to be able to do a spiritual kingdom movement. It starts with each one of us. It's why we said this circle, it starts with me. When we stand in these circles that we brought us into in this revival season that we're praying for, we truly believe that it starts with one of us being faithful. It starts with me just as much as it starts with you. That we would be so faithful to believe that when we see, as Jesus said in Matthew 25, that people were asking the question, when did we see you, Jesus, with these needs? When did we walk by you and see that you needed hospitality or a place to stay or encouragement or a drink? Or when did we see you sick? When did we visit you? And he says, whenever you do this for someone else, for the least of these, you do it for God. There won't be some heavenly shining moment where the, the, all the stars, even though tomorrow is supposed to be a really big Jupiter and stuff, or planets align and we have this big, amazing, once-in-a-lifetime moment. But there's not going to be this moment where you, you sense, oh, now I'm supposed to spiritually love my neighbor. Oh, now I'm supposed to take them in. If you won't take that step and love and share and care, there's not going to be some massive moment that tells you or prompts you or tells you to do it. I believe it's going to be a spiritual nudging where you say, yes, Lord, I see. Yes, Lord, I hear. Yes, Lord, I'll go do. So I'm wondering for 2021, I'm longing for 2021, but I know as soon as we turn the calendar over, it doesn't just fix things. I'm longing for a spiritual revival so that we start asking a, a more difficult question, a more difficult thought. And I wrote it early in my notes, and I, I jumped past it, but it's this thought of saying, instead of saying, here we are, everyone come to us. It's saying, there they are, Let's go to them. If we keep just saying, we're here, we're here, people come to us, we've got all the things you need, that will never get the good news and the love of Jesus outside of this place. So Lord, help us to go, to minister, to notice, to love our neighbor.
Jesus asks quite a bit of us, but he leaves the option on the table that you can choose to do it or not. You know, the world was expecting a Messiah. They were praying for a Messiah. They needed a savior. They needed a rescuer, someone to take them out of the tyranny of the Roman government. They had it all written up of what they thought this person would look like. They knew the lineage. They knew where they'd be from. They knew what they were going to accomplish. They knew how they were going to live, how they were to be born, where they were going to grow up, where they were going to minister, what they were going to do in their life, how they were going to die, and also that they would rise again. But yet, they didn't have any room for him when he came. They didn't notice because it was scandalous. They wrote him off because... What good can come from Nazareth? They wrote him off because his parents weren't even married. And I think to myself, Lord, don't let us miss you. Don't let us walk past you and say you, you didn't come right. You didn't get here correctly. That doesn't look like how I'm supposed to minister, Jesus. It's supposed to look like this. If you have a nudging and it's to do good deeds and to show kindness, that's not a nudging from the enemy. I think Kenny said this to me before. If you have a godly nudging, go and listen to that nudging. Don't say, well, I just don't have time for that kind deed today. Allow the kind nudges to prompt you to action. What I want to do is I want to pray and then I want to allow us a space for open worship to to pause in our own hearts um, and take some time to process the things that perhaps are on your mind that Maybe it's an action. Maybe it's a note that you need to write, a person that you need to challenge yourself to go and minister to, even today, to love your neighbor. And I want to give you space for that. So would you pray with me and pray for me as well that we would be a people that respond? Let's pray together. Jesus, my Savior and my Messiah, I ask that you would prompt each one of us in this room to notice, to pay attention to you, to love you and to serve you, to listen to these nudges that have been placed on our heart and mind to not walk away from a good deed and a loving moment. Don't let us miss you, Jesus. Don't let us ignore you, be too busy for you. Don't let us just try to fit you in as a part of our life, as Kenny said. Help us to realize that you are our whole life. 
you call us into a whole life relationship where we're called to action. We're called to grow deeper in love. We're called to read about you continually and to truly believe that you are our Lord, the foretold Messiah, the risen Savior. You are God in the flesh. You are Emmanuel. You are with us. And your Holy Spirit prompts us, Lord. Prompt us harder. Push us deeper. Help us to listen. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I want to read to you the prophecy that came to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And it truly ushered me into the Christmas week. And so I hope it does the same for you. It's found in Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 79. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David. Just as he, anoint, as he promised through his holy prophets long ago, now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, he's speaking of John the Baptist now, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way of the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. There is a song that I think summarizes this, this best. Uh, it's a simple song. Uh, and if you would like to stand with me, I would so appreciate it. Um, to worship the Lord as we prepare to leave today. Before me, the world behind.
cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will Decide now to follow Jesus. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back, no turning back, no turning back. Jesus, you are worthy of our praise. You are our King. You are our Messiah. You are our prophet and our priest. Today, we anticipate, we are excited for Christmas. Help us to live in this joy and knowing what you, the Messiah, came to fulfill. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God be pleased with you. God go with you. And may we bring Jesus into our neighborhood this week. God be pleased. We are dismissed. <laughs>